Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining us for another episode. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles. Got my gray-bearded co-host alongside me for the night. <laughs> Mr. Uh, full, full Choke, Freelance Full Choke Outdoors. I can't remember what, what you renamed your channel now, but um, <laughs> um, but we are here for another podcast tonight. And before we jump into it, real quick, our guest for tonight is going to be Freddie King. Um, it's going to be a good one. He's been in the industry for longer than um, almost anybody. So um, he's full of interesting tidbits and awesome dog training tips. So stay tuned for that. Um, but before we jump into that, let's give a quick thanks to our partners. And first off, I'd like to give a big thanks over to uh, HDR Innovations. Um, guys, my favorite product this year from HDR, which they got some awesome ones, but I've been a huge fan of the HGR gun stand, and um, you hear, heard it here first. We got some new stuff coming on the gun stand um, with the game strap uh, accessory clip-on, as and as well as the blind bag accessory clip-on. So I'm gonna be having those come out on the gun stand here in the off season. But um, that thing's been awesome. Anytime you go in the marsh, stick it in the mud. You put your gun on it, your ammo on it, your blind bag. Uh, your game strap keeps everything out of the water, keeps your gun grip-free and cycling like a champ. So make sure to check out HDR Innovations at hdrinnovations.com. All right, guys. Uh, off-season is here, and I know between now and the start of the season, you're going to want some new gear. And before you hit the buy button on whatever you're looking at, go check out bandit.com. And from there, you can access Bandit, Avery, and GHG. And they've got everything you need from waders to bags to, to decoys. Uh, just go check it out. And their stuff is fantastic. Jordan and I have been using a lot of their equipment um, for the 19 and 20 waterfowl season. And I'll tell you what, I, I'm, I'm, look, I'm there right now checking out the types of the things that I want to upgrade my gear. So make sure you check out one of my absolute favorite is the red zone 2.0 waders the change that i've made from the neoprene waders over to the breathable i'm never going back so go check out bandit.com and, and start shopping awesome um one more thing i'd like to add before we jump into the podcast guys i'm going to be at the indiana turkey waterfowl deer i said that in the wrong order um expo this week so i'll be at the hdr booth um, if you guys are there, I'd love to see you. I'd love to say hi. Um, always fun talking to listeners and viewers of the podcast. Um, so make sure to stop by. HDR will be in the Waterfowl Alley. Um, and hope to see you there. And also, guys, it's the end of the season. If you're getting the blues and the and depression yet for duck hunting, Elliot and I, we filmed our entire duck hunting season and we got a catalog, a library of duck hunts from former seasons as well. So if you're getting the itch, you want to see some waterfowl content, jump over there. Elliot at Freelance Duck Hunting and Jordan at Duck Gun Chronicles. You can see all those videos over there. 
All right. Well, I think right now is a perfect time to go ahead and jump right into the podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles. Got my co-host, as usual, Greybeard from Freelance Duck Hunting, Elliot. And our guest for tonight is Freddie King. So how are you doing tonight, Freddie? Oh, I'm doing just fine, and I'm uh, joining that clan of the Greybeard. <laughs> <laughs> the no, rest going to Gray. <laughs> Awesome, awesome. Uh, I enjoy, uh, appreciate y'all having me on. Yeah, we're super uh, super pumped to have you on. We're actually, uh, this is something that was a while in the making. Um, we had a few tries trying to get you on here from technical difficulties and scheduling, but uh, we got you on here and we're super pumped to have you on. So um, I guess from starters, let's go ahead. Let's hear a little bit about your personal background. Um, you know, we, we kind of were chatting with you before we went live here and started recording and um, you have a really interesting and, uh, I mean, a lot going on in the waterfowl industry. So go ahead and uh, fill some of us in on what you got going on. Well, you know, like most of us, uh, I grew up around duck hunting. I mean, uh, it's pretty much ingrained in my, my blood. Uh, I was born and raised in southern Louisiana. And mom, she's uh, pretty much a Cajun lady from down around St. Martinville, that area. And... We lived down in there in New Orleans and stuff, you know, so I was about seven or eight. But she uh, had actually met my dad, who comes from chicken farmer stock up here in the central Arkansas. So uh, we eventually moved up here when I was young and, and and really, you know, ever since then, as long as I can remember, I've duck hunted. But, but ever since then, we've always duck hunted in central arkansas so this is where i set my teeth pretty much in it and got started with with uh being involved in actually all outdoors uh loved deer hunt loved squirrel hunt rabbit hunt uh did a lot of trapping back in the day uh did a lot of coon hunting you know we, we were pretty strong outdoors background oriented family so uh just kind of one thing grew to the next moving up here uh, water fountain was kind of the one thing that we could all really sink our teeth in together. My brothers and the rest of my family, they'd come up and duck hunt with us and uh, during deer season. We'd duck hunt in the mornings, deer hunt in the afternoons, and duck hunting was one of those sports that you could always have family and friends and, well, y'all know how it is. Carry on, hadn't kept conversation. That's why people love duck hunting so much. It's just such a, a hunter interacting sport. Yeah. So do you do you still deer hunt and trap, or do you just pretty much all waterfowl now? Well, I mean, and don't get me wrong, I love deer hunting, uh, and probably just as much as the duck hunting. But you know, there's a lot that goes with the duck hunting that that feels a lot more. You know, the dogs. I love that. I love to be able to carry on with my buddies. I love the boat ride. You know, deer hunting, I, I love deer hunting. But, you know, and, and over the years, as we all do, we kind of graduate to trying to shoot bigger bucks. So you get a lot of time on the tree stand just sitting there by yourself wishing something, you know, wishing to even just see a squirrel. But duck hunting is not that way. If it's, if it's dead out there, you're still going to have a good time because you got a lot of things going on. You're either four-wheeling or boat riding, carrying on with your buddies. 
uh, messing with the dogs a little bit. So they're, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna definitely be a little bit more my passion. But uh, each, everything about the outdoors is even when I go squirrel hunting, I just absolutely love squirrel hunting. But I still squirrel hunt, deer hunt, duck hunt, and uh, or deer and squirrel hunt, small game hunt, just about as much as I do duck hunt. It's just I don't quite show or let that out as much as I do the rest of the stuff. So uh, kind of going back to um, your earlier hunting, you said you kind of you started when you were pretty young. Do you actually remember uh, when you killed your first duck? Oh, yeah. I remember when I killed my first duck. It was, I was, I'm pretty certain I was six or seven years old, and right in there, six or seven years old, and I was hunting with my Papa Duchamp down in the uh, Chafalaya River Basin in southern Louisiana. He's got, uh, my family's got houseboats down there all over that basin. Well, anyway, uh, and we were just on a little pond. We were actually so far south that we really couldn't see any of the trees in the spot that we were hunting, the big cypress and those sorts of things. So we kind of got a little bit to the marsh, in the, in, out in the marsh, in the basin, just hunting just one little old small pocket there. And... I'll never forget it because it's just one of those textbook things. Uh, a single drake came in, and I had an old 20-gauge Remington pump, and I threw up, shot, and accidentally hit that duck. Now, <laughs> I mean, you know, you couldn't have timed it, and I mean, to this day, I can still remember what that duck looked like coming in. So, you know, and I was six, seven years old, and I mean, that's, you know, that's almost 50 years ago. <laughs> Not to give away my age or anything. <laughs> but, and ever since then, I've been, you know, been set in stone about waterfowling. That one image still haunts me till today. You know, that's that one look we're always looking for, them wings setting and feet down. And I, I didn't know what I was looking at the time, but still yet it impacted me enough to where it lasted a lifetime and, and, actually led to a, a life that I'm pretty blessed. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, it's pretty crazy, that one mallard uh, Drake cupping right in and um, kind of led to everything else. So <laughs> definitely a, a cool a cool feeling and a, and a cool story to go along with it. Um, so, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, it's just one of those things that, and, and everybody's got their own story and the reason why they love it and stuff. But that one right there just seemed like the epitome of it all. And it's still, it's still, it is about as strong as I can remember. I can remember that old, that gum, I think it's a, a Mercury Motors. I mean, I know it's a Mercury, but I can't remember if it's a 7.5 or if it's a 9.9. Nine. But, you know, we used to, Gramps and them, they crawfished and everything. I can still remember sitting on a painted five-gallon bucket because the boats they built out there to run, you know, you didn't have aluminum boats. And they they, they literally took two sheets of four-by-eight plywood and built what they called box boats out of them. And little son of a gun, the dangerous as heck, wouldn't turn or anything like that. And about one and a half persons about all you can fit in one without it wanting to sink. <laughs> but, but, you know, I can still remember sitting on that five-gallon bucket. I can still remember, you know, only having eight or ten decoys out and just that one duck. So, 
that's pretty cool that it stayed that strong with me. Yeah. So I'm curious, um, at what point in your life growing up did you think, you know, I may make this my full time, full time gig? Well, you know, I started pushing. I when I first actually had to start getting a job, you know, 17, 18 years old, I, I wanted a truck. I wanted my be able to do things, you know, and, and coming from a family where, you know, if you wanted other than food at the table and, and hand-me-down clothes, you better go to work. So, you know, I went to work, uh, and Dad, he owned a construction company, and, and I worked pretty doggone hard during the summers as much as I could if the jobs were close enough during during school days after school and even on weekends and you know I try to save up as much money as I could to last during a little bit of hunting season because I found out how important money was to be able to you know go duck hunting and have a little bit of time off but construction back then of course wasn't nearly as strong as it was today so you had a lot of off time during the winter so, you know, I'd save up money, duck hunt, deer hunt, squirrel hunt, whatever hunt during the summer month, uh, winter months and, and learned real quick that working hard led to things. But I also found out as I got a little bit older that by gosh, work can get away, can, can get in the way of you wanting to hunt. So I probably, I, it was, I think 1989, 90 right there. Right in around that time, just a couple, three years after college, I got a video camera, and I actually bought a pretty decent one. Back then, it was big SVHS cameras was the best you could get. Not a VHS, but SVHS. And they actually shot some pretty doggone video compared to the VHS. So what happened was I just started filming my family. We'd go duck hunting, I'd film it. We'd go deer hunting, I'd film it. And just over a period of a couple of years, and I'm not saying that we were actual killers, but we were, and I actually got some pretty good stuff. I got some real solid duck hunts. And back then, this is the late 80s, early 90s, we would, you know, you, you had a two-duck limit. So you'd go out in the morning, and the first group of ducks, if there were three hunters, if there was eight or ten ducks, nine times out of ten, you were done. <laughs> you were done. You killed your two mallards, you were done. That was it. So, and you'd go through all this work, walking out there, dragging the decoys and all that. So I started filming those hunts, and we started actually bow hunting those ducks. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so we'd, we'd land the ducks, and, and most of us would shoot one or two, the first group. They wouldn't fly off, and if you had a group of ducks working, <laughs> some of them land, you'd shoot one. The rest of them would still land. So what actually happened was I started, I got some really good stuff on film way back when. And this is when Max was down on the other side of Stuttgart. And uh, a TV show, or tell, a local TV show, had died and got wind about a little bit of this and that. And they their, their sports section, they did a little, story on some of them show four or five clips well then a guy started up real hunting arkansas which was one of the first outdoor television shows and he pretty much wanted us to start filming hunts for him and they used a lot of our stuff that i had already filmed as a matter of fact made one complete season of shows just off the stuff that i'd already shot 
So, <laughs> I mean, is there any place to see those videos now? Are those videos posted anywhere? I don't know. I don't know if Real Hunting Arkansas has those anymore. Uh, back then, that was before YouTube. Yeah. So, I mean, or, you know, YouTube might have been just started to get started. But, you know, as far as them posting them anywhere, I don't know where you would find them. Now, I will say this. I do have some of the old SVHX tapes from the show. I, I saved pretty much all of those. So, those are kind of... Uh, <laughs> they're antique in my mind nobody else but but that kind of uh the snowball things into max like i was getting at earlier was on on the other side of uh Stuttgart, and this is when harold knight and david hale had just kind of started traveling around a little bit together right and before Knight and Hale had actually started so i went down there and they had a little old booth set up and stuff, and you know, and, and I'm sitting up there talking to them and this and that, and and turkey hunting was just starting to kind of get going in Arkansas. Uh, a lot of people did turkey hunting, but I had was talking talking to them, and I started telling them about all this stuff I'd done with the film and all that kind of mess with the camera, and they were looking at me like I was completely a fool. They thought. Here's this young not kid telling us all this mess about filming this and that and that and this. And and I could tell, and it's a two-day show, I could tell they thought I was just full of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I went back to the house, and I had a double-deck SBHS deal. So that evening and night, drove all the way back to Thursday, that evening and night, I sat there and I took just little quick snippets of this hunt, that hunt, you know, just one minute little pieces here and there and there and I dubbed them all together and I drove back down there that next day put my own little little piece of paper on the top of it there one of them post-it things and wrote my name and number and all that kind of mess and it was Monday about noon when they called and <laughs> and left the message because of course I didn't have a mobile phone back then but anyway uh, when I got home that evening from work Sure enough, I had a message from them. They wanted to talk to about possibly doing some filming. So right there was kind of my first gig to kind of get involved. And that just kind of after after uh, uh, Real Hunting Arkansas, that kind of threw things into action. And so now at that point in time, were, were you um, well-versed in dog training or did that come, did that come later? Well, that came later. Uh, and and let's say there's a difference between well versed and having dogs. Yeah. We've always had labs. Uh, I can't remember, but maybe one or two hunts that I've gone on as a kid that we did not have a dog. We had beagles, we had coon hounds, and we had retrievers. Now, of course, those retrievers were trained. Nothing like what we're doing today. Nothing. And, uh, but dogs were always a, life, a, a part of our lives as far as uh, whether we did rabbits or like they were saying, duck hunting. So that, I've always been around labs and retrievers. And, and Dad, he wasn't a trainer by any means, but he could get one to go get a duck and come back. And that was plenty good for us back then. So uh, one thing kind of, you know, later as things go and you kind of progress, I just one day said, I'm going to get my dog and train it. And that's what I did. 
and I just kind of just educated myself more and more over the years, you know, and probably been doing dogs now hard for about the last oh, 28, 30 years, right about, right there about. Awesome. Um, yeah, so on, on the dog training, kind of a side note, Elliot and I have both, uh, um, this past year started using your uh, website, the retrieving trainer um, dot com. Is, is that the right name? Did I say it right? The, the retriever trainer dot com. The retriever trainer dot oh, yeah. com. Yep. And so we've actually both started using that. And uh, um, I took my dog, which I, he was kind of like you're saying on your original labs, where he uh, he could see a duck and he'd go get it and bring it back. So <laughs> um, kind of gone more um, to. Um, I guess technical training now going through that and ran him with an e-collar this year. And, um, you know, um, I didn't make it the summer all the way through, um, the, like, I guess what we'd call it the series. I think it's the meat dog series on there. Um, uh, I didn't make mm-hmm. it all the way through that, but I made it, um, a good ways through it. And man, it was uh, a night and day difference from, uh, <laughs> Um, the year prior to this year, um, on his training. So he did, he did great with that. So that's just a little side note on your, uh, your, um, retriever trainer website. Well, you know, that things evolve over the years, no matter what kind of sport you're in, you know, just if you're in NASCAR, uh, from 20 years ago, you know, NASCAR evolved. Same with deer hunting and the devices we have and all kinds of hunting Everything's evolving. Well, so has dog training. And, you know, back then, what our dogs did for us, that was the norm. Now, we'd actually kind of laugh at that, you know, and, and, and think, good grief, you need to train that dog. When that dog actually had some training back then, and what we thought was was somewhat advanced training, which, you know, it, it, everything evolves and you get better at it, and training methods have gotten about better. The training tools we have, they've gotten better, more direct on on being able and more applicable to a lot of different dogs. Our dogs, we bred them better. So with all that, everything is advanced and 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 evolutionized, whatever the word would be, evoluted. I kept wanting to say, which I don't think is a word, <laughs> but uh, it everything's gotten better, and there's so much information out there that it's incredible now that that we did not have even five years ago yeah the information that's available to us uh, quick and simple and easy and the methods have gotten and and it's kind of like this i I try to tell everybody i don't ever claim don't want to ever claim to know everything there is about dog training that's not it i'm not the first to come up with everything you see on prt there was somebody else that showed me this or that or that or this. And uh, a lot of it goes, you know, to a pro trainer over here uh, in uh, uh, East Arkansas that, that used to work at the Coca-Cola uh, Duck Club, you know, old Harvey Shoe, And, you know, and he was a pro white coat trainer that took in a, a 22, 23-year-old kid and was showing him how to do things and by golly even then it was pretty rough stuff but i learned a lot of stuff from him that was passed on to other people and 
methods now that I see, and they have evolutionized into different, you know, progressing into different types of drills and methods of training, those sorts of things. So TRT isn't 100% Freddie King's by any means. It came from somebody somewhere. Now, I may have changed some of the drills. I may have added a little bit of this or that. But in, all in all, in essence, it came from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Freddie, to give you a little bit of background on where I'm at with my dogs, I've got this my dog now who is eight months old, maybe person nine months. This is the third dog I've had. Dog number one, I did not train at all that I took stuff hunting, which, you know, that was kind of a disaster. Dog number two, um, I used the old water dog book, and I actually tried to train that one. And she was a, you know, a real inexpensive dog. And, and all I wanted her to be able to do was to go out and get the bird and come back and, and be steady. That was basically my goal for her. So she did that okay. And so um, I started a YouTube channel called Freelance Stuff Hunting. And Build a little bit of a following, and and um, so I, I made a partnership, got a partnership with Flatlander Kennels, and got this dog from Chris Jobman, which is, I mean, this little dog I've had now is just a completely different breed than the other two that I've had. I mean, she's well bred, and I mean, I can see already the difference. And and so I was talking to, to Chris, I was get asking his advice, um, you know, telling him I've, I've used the the water dog book in the past what should i do now and, and he that he put me onto your side he said you should go get an account at the retrievertrainer.com and then he also told me um to look into chris aiken as well so uh, oh yeah that, i'm using your system now and and you know i know i'm a little behind where you know maybe i should be but i'm not starting until he'll be over a year old to start so i'm going nice and slow taking it easy using your system and in fact just today i watched right now i'm working on extending um her extending plate she's steady pretty well but i'm working on extending plate so i went into your website and i was watching um your your video on that which is under the meat dog also and i'm telling you it that video could not have been more perfect for me because in that video i don't know if you remember you're working with a dog named tank and Tank gives you fits in that video. You 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 got him working well on place, and then as soon as you throw him a bumper, from then on his he's gone, right? And, oh yeah. Um, and it was perfect because that was exactly what my dog's name is Georgie. It's exactly the problem that I've been having with her. And I, I love the scene in that video. Your the dog actually gives you problems because what I've noticed, um, not so much in your videos, but just looking into things and looking at videos, it's hard to find professional trainers that have videos of dogs not doing it perfect and i appreciated that so much because i saw your dog messing up and and doing exactly what georgie was doing and it was just it was like i was watching a video of what my dog had been doing and so i just love that about your videos is that you don't you don't necessarily edit out mistakes your dog's making you show them and use that to help the training it was just it really really good well, that's what you you have just described is 100% what the retriever trainer is all about. Um, a lot of folks don't know this, but I have filmed a ton of different pros over the years. I've, uh, you know, one of my, like we were talking about earlier, I got to travel the, the world basically filming hunting shows, outdoor shows, and that led into uh, doing gigs for Shannon Nardi, who is the owner of the Super Retriever Series and who is 
was the owner of Water Dog TV, Justin Tackett. And this is a show, you know, 15, 18 years ago. And Water Dog was based on, you know, Yella, a dog he had named Yella. And this dog was trained to the max, ran the grand, and, you know, was also a dog that, uh, that everything evolved over to the Super Retriever Series. But what, what that enabled me to do was Shannon, through her production company, Dancing Dog Productions, I got to know a, a lot of other pro trainers. I was, I was already running Hunt Retriever Club stuff and AKC tests and all that kind of mess, but it opened up a venue for me to get out there and actually film. Uh, I, I, I filmed Chris Aiken's DVD, all right? Shannon Nardi edited those. I filmed Danny Farmer's DVDs. Shannon Nardi edited those. I filmed a ton of other stuff with other pro trainers from from all over the country. And I'm talking high-end trainers. I don't really want to say any names, but uh, uh, I have. Uh, I've been to, uh, and all of them done the same thing. They showed great dogs doing mediocre work. Mediocre work. So you never really got to see where the dogs were messing up. Well, when I decided to start CRT, I said, I'm going to show the good, the bad, the ugly. We're going to see a dog doing work that's above its head or a dog learning to do whatever lesson we have. So if, if we're, you know, we're starting e-collar conditioning, I'm going to show all the good, the bad, with the first time a dog has the e-collar on it. Just as you see in that meat dog series and every single bit of CRT is a dog you, you see 12 dogs going through force fetch from the day they go on the table to the day they come off. Not a single piece of it is ever edited. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all the good, the bad, the ugly. Because we get to see where we need to be, but we get to see all the issues that happen. We get to see all the different characters of dogs. You know, Some dogs are soft. Some of them are hard. Some of them are hard-driving soft dogs. Some of them are, are hard, soft, soft-driving hard dogs. So, you know, you get to see all different types of characters and, and issues, and you get to see the fixes on the fly as they're happening. You know, and, I, and that was my main gripe about uh, if I was going to do CRT, I wanted to make sure that everybody got to see that their dog is just like those well-oiled machines at some point. They all what? look exactly the same. It's just putting the steps in front, and everything comes clean. It means so much because, I mean, watching someone doing it right is fine, but what someone like me and Jordan lack compared to someone like you or Chris Aikman or, or, or Chris Jobman is when they deviate, knowing how to handle that. That's what that's really what we need because we don't have all those hours built up of dealing with all these different dogs. I mean, this is my third dog, so my experience base is really small. So seeing that where the dog is making the mistake, and even things like your tone of voice, when you're choosing to say no, when you and I just pick up little things like, okay, um, all right, it's, it's okay to be a little more stern. Just basic things that you guys probably forget because you've known it for so long. Guys like us are picking up on just body language and just minor things even. It's just extremely helpful. Well, that's, that's, that's the things that start separating you from, from a novice to being an AM trainer and then graduating to, you know, becoming a professional trainer, let's say. But 
a pro am, let's say that, not a basically not a pro trainer like what what myself or Chris might be, but the the, the knowledge that you gain by kind of seeing those things, and like you said, there's a lot of you know, our vocal indexes, our body gestures, our profile that we take when a dog's coming in, watching their body language, we adjust our tones and how we're reacting to them to to get as much as you know if a dog's coming back and he's got his head a little bit low and his tail's kind of straight out maybe just a little bit dropped you know you'll 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 drop your posture and kind of lower yourself a little bit and get a little bit high toned with your voter so that that pup can doesn't see you as any type of threat or doesn't feel any type of threatening or like he's gonna get in trouble you know where some of those high rolling dogs i can't get on the ladder high enough to ever intimidate them you know mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so, i mean it's and 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 learning that, seeing that, and watching that, has I mean that that's one of the greatest achievements as far as myself becoming a, a a pro trainer, being able to adjust myself on the fly to every single dog, different dog, in in the same situation or different situation on the fly, because it it'll make a huge difference in a in a second going south and north real quick. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Awesome. I didn't ramble too much there then, did I? <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. I'm just, I, feel like I want I'm to make just sure rambling. I'm not talking too much. I've got so many questions I could ask. <laughs> I'm just rambling over here. But, I mean, you know, and I think that's one of the things that really, really got me going. Anybody that, that finds reward from helping or watching, you know, a person progress in something that you're, you know, from our kids, whether it, it doesn't matter, you know, taking a youngster hunting for the first time and you see the lights come on and all that and dog training is the same way. You see the lights coming on. Anybody that can find reward in the, something that they're doing and see benefit from, I don't know how to, how I really want to explain it, but when you see that kind of reward, that's what sucked me into dog training other than my love for watching retrievers work. I just, think that's astounding but that reward that you get from looking back you know it, your pups turned 14 16 months old and you look back to where y'all were the spring before last and you see all those little bitty steps you made and all the ups and downs and now you got a dog that's doing you know marking triples running great 100 125 yard blinds and you know, I mean, it's that—that's a huge reward, right there. Yeah. I got a question for you, Freddie. So, watching your videos, one thing I've realized my first few dogs is that I was too strict with them, too harsh with them, um, too mm-hmm. physical with them. Now, I wasn't abusing them at all, but I was just too too punitive with my punishments with them. And so now I've backed so far off that I've tried to—I've tried to just go completely positive praise. But then I am seeing in some of your videos that, that sometimes you're being, you are given a little harsher. No, like I went too far the other direction. Can you talk just kind of about that balance of where to land? Is When is it okay to really get harsh with your dog? And is it okay to ever put your hands on them in an alpha physical type of way? Well, there's, yes. I mean, just like your kids, at some point you're going to have to, you're going to have to get the belt out, you know? I mean, that's, uh, I've, I've been, <laughs> a lot of kids don't get enough of that these days. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So uh, a lot of dogs, and we've hunted with those dogs, 
their their owners that failed them from from day one of obedience and training by letting them be in two dang races. And and we've all hunted with that type of dog. And but my my theory is this right the way I approach things is I look at a pup and from the time they're born born to nine months of age, nine months right in there, give or take a month, is gonna be nothing but building self confidence. And we build self confidence through tons of socialization with tons of different people, not just same with kids every day. That's not socialization. The first time you did it, second time you did it, that was socialization. They've got to have new people so they don't bark, carry on, stuck, run under the truck, and every, every time somebody comes over. They've got to have tons of socialization with tons of different people. They have to see tons of new environments. They, that is major. You want to get, you want to bring them to the park after they've had their pot, their, 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 all their parable shots and their things up to date. You can get them in more and more different environments where there's more dogs, dogs, those sorts of things. But you, early on, you're bringing them to tractor supply, carrying them in, throwing them in the cart. You're bringing them to the lake with you. They're riding in the boat. They're going to all kinds of new places. And self-confidence is built through those two different types of things. Then retrieving desire. That's our other thing that we're looking for. My main two focuses are self-confidence and building that retrieving desire. Retrieving desire is a lot of people go out there and just throw a couple, two or three tennis balls and whatever, and, you know, the pups come back. That's fine. Some of them wear their pups out. That's horrible. Even though your dog will retrieve 25 times, that's horrible. If you, that dog's drive will be even stronger if you stop at five. Anytime you wear a dog out on retrieve, you're actually lessening retrieving desire, in my, my opinion. So we're building that self-confidence and then we're making that retrieving desire, building it. We're building retrieving desire through a methodical stages. We're going to start in when they're seven, eight, ten weeks old. In that period, we're going to be in the hallway. We're going to be talking socks, little soft, squeaky toys, getting them going to the end of the hall, coming back two or three times, maybe four. Then we're quitting. We might do that maybe one more time that day, but most of the time I'll just do it once. All my dogs, they'll usually get one little quick session a day, and then we go on to something else. And I try to keep it limited where they're coming back, and I don't take the bumper or the toy away from them immediately. I just kind of pet them on the back, praise them about it, let them hold that toy as long as I can. You take it away too soon, you're going to start building that uh, keep-away game. As long as they feel like, okay, this is my toy. He's not going to keep it away from me. He's praising the snot out of me. I really like this. And 30 seconds later, you pick them up by the belly and slip it out of their mouth. All is good. So methodically, we're building that retrieving desire. We did not. We got a little plan, and we graduate that to the yard. We're still socializing our dog, but all the way up until around once we see that that pup's retrieving desire is strong and they're self confidence is as high no matter where we're taking them whatever they're glad to meet people they're glad they're 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 jumping out to check out their the new environment those sorts of things then around that six to seven month mark then we can actually start formal obedience what i consider formal obedience and through formal obedience we'll start kind of shaping our dog into the 
to our punt. We'll get a lot better judgment of their character. And if we need to lessen retrieving, or lessen how much we're pushing our pup, or if we need to add to that, how much we're, you know, if we we need that, give them a little more as far as uh, training time. And we'll be able to, uh, most sessions started off at around five minutes. And then as our pups get better and better and their attention span stays longer, we'll, we'll start graduating them to six, seven, eight minutes as we progress. But that first nine months is the most important time of that pup's life. Yeah. I, I kind of rambled a little bit. <laughs> no, that's great stuff. Um, yeah, so I guess while we're on the questions, I'll, I'll throw one in as well. So, um, well, I, I didn't. I was getting somewhere. I was going to. I was going to finish up, not to interject and stop y'all. But when it, you'll be able to tell real quick as your pup is getting older, how much you're going to be able to become the, let's say the, the alpha of the pack. And you'll be able to tell, you know, at one time your pup's going to nip at you and those sorts of things get playing a little bit too aggressively and you might grab its muzzle. And that one time when they're eight or 10 weeks old or 12 weeks old, that one time you you do it, might stick with them for the rest of their life. Dogs are that way. Mm-hmm. So that one time might impact that dog for the rest of the life where all you have to do is use a, a minimal amount of tone in your voice to get some kind of reaction, you know, from a difference between a, a loud or a soft note when they're fixing to do something that you don't like. And okay. I know we've all seen that with dogs. And then some some puppies, you might have to grab that muzzle 15 times yeah. before they finally give up and say, okay, all right, you're, you're a boss, you're a boss. But then again, later on in life, I don't care. They're all going to try you one more time. <laughs> so the answer is it depends on the dog. It does. Little forces you need to get the dog. It, it, it does. You start off, you let them, you know, it's just like our kids. They're, they're going to be, when they're babies and stuff, they're going to get into this. And 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 when they're, you know, toddlers and stuff, and, and you're trying to teach them, no, don't grab this. And, and they keep reaching for it. You you're not beating them or anything. You're just patting them on the hand and giving them a little pat pat on the hand and saying no. Yeah. Well, some mm-hmm. kids you've seen get fighting mad, and some you know some kids say, "All right, okay, don't be touching that." So, and and dogs are the same way. I mean, in all honesty, they're they're the same exact way. Just like kids that that if you really get them out and involve them into you know social life and and get them in sports dance gym whatever and you know they're they're, they tend to do better in interacting with other folks their age and even older so uh, it's the same thing yep uh so while we're still on the questions i actually got one as well so um kind of talking about the drive um and all that so one thing that i had a big improvement was with chief and i and i did a lot of things wrong early on and this last year doing going through the system and um going through more technical training and um i mean we'd train sometimes three times a day and we'd do short sessions and i really got his retrieving drive up um through the off season um but i don't think you can ever compare kind of like 
at least at least I can't in my training. Um, the drive that they get, like when when he sees like a goose, you know, go down, like the amount of drive he has for that compared to like a bumper. I mean, is there ever a way to get the drive of a bumper kind of up on the same level as you get for live birds? Well, yeah, and it, and it starts when they're very very young. I will make. I've never owned my personal. All my personal dogs are as crazy about bumpers as they are birds. They're as crazy. You get a you get a tennis ball. I got four dogs in the house right now. Thief, Asia, Thief, and Tato. I got four, and uh, and and they range from six months old all the way to five months old. You get a tennis ball out. And then four dogs, you better watch your fingers, you know, because <laughs> I'm telling they they gonna take your fingers away, and it's all the base exactly how I've done them, and it's all the the methodical steps that I've taken, and never ever ever putting too much pressure on them to retrieve. I stop if they show lack of interest, I stop immediately. I don't try to throw them another one. Uh, I just go on to something different, and and I slowly and methodically build that retrieving desire to where it's just as crazy for a bumper, or a, a, a or a, a a duck or a goose or any of those things. It, it's equal all the way across the platform. Interesting. So is there and some I, so my and dogs? I question? Yeah, yeah. My dog's four at this point. Is there much? I mean, honestly, you just keep working on the same stuff in, in the yard and stuff. Um, but is there kind of – I mean, for me, I, I, I don't see the same drive for, like, a bumper. I mean, he goes and gets them, like you said. Um, but when, you know, we, when we're ready – when he's ready to stop, we stop right away. Um, but, like, he would never be ready to stop for, a, like, when we're out retrieving live birds. Right. Well, uh, older dogs – you know, older dogs, if that if that's making them bump, and I call it bumper crazy, and, you know, getting them older dogs that haven't had that instituted into them and real strong, and it's going to be tough to ever get that going. Because it's something, by the time they're eight or nine months old, that boom, it's there. Gotcha. So, you know, the main thing you can do with older dogs, and trust me, I do get them. I get them in training. And uh, uh, that aren't nearly as crazy about working with the plastic and rubber as they are feathers. So with that, I have to keep a good mix of feathered bumpers. And that's what I throw 99% of the time. And I, I, uh, I, I keep them more jacked up about training sessions. And a lot of times I have to shoot those dogs. Oh, one or two ducks a month to even keep them, elevated to get through the training program mm. you know just because you can't put birds on running the double t on every house you just can't do it. so yeah. They, yeah. those grills are methodical they get boring as heck to a lot of dogs and the only way you can keep their attitude and their attention spiked is you know training with marks and using live birds and birds and and feathered bumpers as much as possible depending on that dog level of excitement that you're dealing with. So the main thing with your pup right now is just try to keep it balanced and train with birds as much as you can. And and uh, anytime you're working with bumpers, keep the sessions as short and as fun as possible. You know, a lot of lot of praise, a lot of praise. Awesome. That definitely answers that. 
Um, and then I got one more question <laughs> that uh, hopefully you got an answer for. So um, something, a new issue I've had with them this year um, with having increased drive when we're out hunting um, is, um, and, you know, the people who view the videos can attest to, to hearing this a few times, but, I mean, he, when, when he's in his mow marsh, and I'm not letting him break yet for the bird, like let's say we shot some geese, um, they're laying down in the field, they're flopping around or whatever. I mean, he will literally howl. It sounds like he's the one that got shot. Um, <laughs> is there a way to like get him to stop besides uh, hitting him with the e collar? Because I don't want to like decrease drive. Right. Well, a dog has gotten drive like that. You're not going to decrease that drive for hunting. That's all there is to it. Once that hunt, that hunt has been established in a dog. You're not ever going to take that away. So with that, that we've got a lot of room for messing up, and uh, uh, and and your dog's going to rebound. That's all there is to it. That once that that hunting has been instilled in them, and they love it to that level, you're not ever going to take that away. So that, like I'm fixing to tell you, that gives you a lot of room for messing up and giving a lot of pressure if you have to. Now. Anytime that starts happening, you, you've got to instantly start nipping that in the bud. And 99% of the way at times, what I do is I'll, I'm always hunting close to my dog at first. And when I'm starting them off, and I will instantly grab that muzzle, hold that son of a gun tight, and give them a good shake, no quiet, those sorts of things. And most of the time, that, that suffices. Most of the time, that suffices. Now, as we graduate in distance and they're having to sit and hunt on remotes or out of mow marshes like your pup's doing, and they get a little bit more vocal. So they've already been corrected. They know they've been e-collar conditioned. And the second I hunt, a lot of people are, they don't like to put their gun down, but they'll have to put your gun down and be ready or at least let the other felder shoot or after you, if it's happened after you shoot, then the second the shooting's done, you grab the e-collar with it on a lower setting than your dog's working level is give them continuous pressure. The moment it, it starts and you hold that continuous pressure till it stops. And you just got to keep that up. And then after about three or four hunts, your pup finally learns. We broke four dogs this year. I'm talking noisy dogs. Four dogs this year that never ever ever make a bit of noise doing training but we use uh some sport dog bark collars that that are real sensitive to whining even by putting those on the dog and they helped they broke those dogs four yeah. dogs they broke the dogs and educated them to noise uh, none of these dogs had ever really had a bark collar on as far as just barking and getting corrected but they learned it real dark, doggone quick, about three or four hunts. They learned to keep that mouth shut, and then that gave the ability to even get better corrections with your e-collar. Awesome. No, that's definitely uh, that's definitely helpful. Elliot, you got yep. an- so I, I If your pup is well e-collar conditioned, that's where I would start, right there. Okay. You know, And y- your dog's not doing it when he's sitting beside you on a stand and you're hunting. It's only when he's going in a remote position um, where he's. No, he'll he'll do it. It's it's honestly it's not like one hundred percent of the time. It's like, uh, 
I, I mean, I don't know. He he did it real bad, like the very first time of the season, because it's the the first time we'd seen live birds, you know, all you know, in six months or whatever. Um, and then he did it <laughs> on our last time of the season here, um, really bad as well. And um, in both times, he was in a in a mow marsh not too far from me. Well, uh, uh, if you'll do that with an e collar pressure or get a sport dog collar, I promise you. And three or four hunts that that happening, that dog will will learn. Awesome, Freddie. What Jordan's not telling you is his dog <laughs> whined and screamed like crazy, and then the next time his dog, he had him leap to the Momart, and he jumped out of it and drove the Momart clear out in the middle of the decoy to retrieve a goose. <laughs> <laughs> that oh. dog has got some drive. <laughs> so you're not ever gonna. You're not ever gonna. Uh, decrease that dog's drive and you know by any type of pressure that you're going to do and you know mm. and, and physically assaulting that dog's not going to do a dang thing you know so uh whipping it or or you know like most people would do or get mad and that's what not ever going to do you're not going to say anything again pressure no fight they're going to be monotone about it there's going to be you're going to let the e-caller do all the work okay yeah, but I will tell you this: I love those high drive dogs. Yeah, <laughs> Lee. I wish they were all like that. That's something you can't put in them. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, the full story on that was the the bird before that we shot. We shot just a single, and uh, he started whining like crazy. Um, and we have two dogs in on the hunt, and so I was kind of annoyed that he was making so much noise, and uh, so I didn't let him go retrieve, and it was his turn let the other dog go retrieve. They went and got it and came back. And so then the next flock we shot, he, he didn't even wait for me to <laughs> let him go. He just somehow I had him uh, t- tethered to the mow marsh in the back, and somehow he was able to slip out sideways and get his feet on the ground. He just drug that thing straight through the decoys, um, ended up breaking the head off one of the full bodies and got all – I was I was so frustrated by that. and. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm going to give folks a, a real strong lesson here about whining noisy dogs on your hunt. And first I'm going to, uh, I, I can't remember where I first heard this. It might have been Justin Tackett on Water Dog TV many moons ago. But the uh, quite simply, there's nothing that will, there's a hunt is is made of, uh, let me start again, good grief. I'm watching these people walk down the road, and I'm like, well, do I need to get my gun or not? They kind of look a little funny. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) anyway, they're going on. But Justin Tackett, I'm pretty certain, is is who I heard it say it on one show. And there's nothing that can add to a bad hunt like a great dog. (laughs) Watching a great dog work and stuff. And there's nothing that can ruin a great hunt like a bad dog. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you know that that with that analogy, you know noise can become the part. I've seen dogs scare off flocks of hawkers. I've seen them scare off flocks of ducks. Those sorts of things. But it all starts. It, it's it's our own fault for letting this happen because it all starts when their their puppies are living in the house. They start barking at people and barking at this. Nine times out of ten, literally about everybody, you know, grabs their pups muzzle and quiet. No, quiet. And 
You know, if they hear sirens and you're trying to watch it, you grab that mother. Quiet. No, quiet. So they learn that early early on. They learn it every time somebody knocks on the door. You get onto them. No, quiet. Those sorts of things. You know, somebody pulls up, same thing. Uh, the dogs that live in the house, you know, a lot of times the dogs that live outside, you know, they don't get that much attention, but still it does happen. Well, through that, they've learned, you know, they got to be quiet. And then if they're ever vocal during training, it graduates uh, to the same thing, muzzle grabs, eat auto pressure, quiet, no quiet, those sorts of things, or they don't get to retrieve. So for, well, all that is being trained and stuff. But what happens is people get, they do two things. First, they take their pup hunting when they're way too young. Can't wait to get their dog out they're on their first hunt. They're 12 months old, that sort of thing. Their dog's getting jacked up. They're starting to get vocal and Instead of the owner sitting next to their dog with their gun hung up behind the tree or in the box or whatever, they're trying to shoot. They're not paying attention to their dog. And they're conditioning that dog to that kind of behavior. And I think two things are extremely important. Never, ever hunt your dog when they're young. If they're high-driven dogs, especially, I just will not do it. I will not do it. Uh, now, if a dog's 12 months old and got an HRCH title, that sort of thing, yeah, that dog's fine to hunt. But you better sit right next to that dog. You help that dog through. You help them watch for things, help them watch the birds fall, those sorts of and, and really guide them through those first hunts. And the first time they start making noise, you address you address mm-hmm. it right then and there, and over time, two or three hunts, they get better and better and better and better. You address any noise issues, you address breaking issues, all kinds of things. And like I said, most of the time, I don't even let them pick up the first one or two days that they've hunted, they've hunted unless they see a real easy bird fall right there. I don't know if they can go right there and back. Most of the time, after the shooting's done, the dust is picked up, I'm throwing the bird. Mm-hmm. And them go out there and just kind of getting their feet wet so to speak but people they'll hunt their dogs too early and they won't spend the time introducing and acclimating their dogs to hunt and that right there leads to breaking issues and noise issues every single time it seems like that's a great advice that's, that's excellent excellent stuff right there so uh kind of to change um, directions, but still on the same topic here. So, um, you know, kind of thinking back, you know, to my grandpa's dogs and, um, I, I grew up with my grandpa having four dogs all the time for hunting. And my favorite dog was chief of his dogs. And, you know, we'd go out there upland, upland game hunting. There's just so many awesome traits about chief that I love and it ended up naming my, my lab after grandpa's dog chief. Um, so do you have, there you go. Do you have any um, kind of dogs that, that stand out um, that you've hunted with over the years or any dogs that, I mean, you'd call kind of a favorite or any stories you want to share along those lines? Well, I mean, they're, man, they're all been such great dogs. You know, my, uh, 20, 23 years old, one of my first best dogs was that I had trained at HRCH level was a dog named Ike. You know, and Ike is this dog that was a high pressure dog. He could take he could take pressure, and and I had been to a ton of uh, uh, lardy seminars 
job seminars and those sorts of things. And I'd seen, you know, I, I was training by those methods. And, and, and back then we trained with a little bit more, you know, with the collars that by gosh, they had, they either had weld or weld pants. You know, those two settings. That, there wasn't no soft e collars back then. <laughs> them son of a guns, by God, they had the stroke of Zeus coming out of them. <laughs> so, you know, dogs, uh, they they got a lot of pressure back then. And this dog, and what I'm getting at is, I he let me, he, as screwed up as I might have been with my training, he stuck with me through everything and took everything. So, you know, I did a lot of things wrong with that dog that, taught me a lot about what to do right now so Ike I mean he really stands out a lot of people know Teal I mean she's one of my favorites of all times Uh, Teal came a couple of three dogs after Ike I had uh, Casey he was in the mix Casey was one of the first dogs I ran in the Super Retriever Series a good 15 18 20 years ago something like that one of the first events they ever had uh but he, Teal, she was a pretty phenomenal dog. Uh, got her HRCH on her, as I have the other ones before, and her masters. And, and you know, she, she actually, her last retrieve, she made on the Cache River, right right at my side. Uh, she was gone blind in one eye. She had lymphoma. Kind of bounced, bounced back from that. And and had a strong hunting season and the very next year uh, had a real good season and about halfway through that uh she she actually died beside me after making retrieve on the cash river here in arkansas so uh Hmm. not that moment but just that dog alone Uh, a lot of people have seen her so i built tribute on youtube that a lot of people have seen that dog but she's pretty strong but man they all so daggum special you know, you get you uh, all the dogs I've had since then. You know, Teal, Buck, Deep, now, and then Asia. All of them have different characters, and and kind of like my kids, I ain't got a favorite kid, but you know, some of them are better hunters than others. Ain't no doubt about it. Some of them are better, better uh, uh, dogs than others. Ain't no doubt about that. So. Uh, but as far as all of them having a special place, they just all do. Yeah. Awesome. So, uh, well, I think right now is probably a good time to jump to the lightning round. What do you think, Elliot? Yeah, I think so. I think this has been wonderful. It's a, so you're doing a fantastic job, full of information. I can't wait till we post this podcast. It's um, just really, really informative, good stuff for I got a bad habit of getting <laughs> off subject. You know, I mean, we might be talking about one subject. Next thing you know, I'm talking about foosball. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I don't feel like you've been rambling at all. I mean, you know, people like, like our listeners and Jordan and I, who are amateur trainers. I mean, I just soak it up because I can't, I just can't get enough of information from guys like you. So just yeah. keep doing what you're doing. Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's the main thing right there. You know, like you said, amateurs, that, that's the one thing with the retriever trainer that I made 100% sure of, that I am available 100% to every single member through Facebook Messenger. I don't yeah. care. I answer 100 to 
250 questions a day. And they, and it's just not no yes. I'll write two paragraphs if I have to. And then and I want everybody to keep me up to date on their stuff. You know, I mean, we got a strong, strong membership. Uh, we just donated uh, two free memberships to give away to every HRC club. That's 123, 24 clubs, something like that, to give away at either their spring or fall hunt test. And all these people, I want every single one of them messaging me because I, I, that's so important to have guidance letting you know hey you're doing the right things and and getting those questions that pop up answered you know as quickly as possible and help all the way through the training process you know yeah there's there's folks now prt's been in existence now a little bit over three years and i can remember several dogs that were six weeks seven weeks old starting a program now and our master dogs going to master national this year how awesome is that? Oh, yeah. For those of you that are listening, um, if you um, join and become a member of retrievertrainer.com, then over at Facebook, you're able to, to join a private group. And just like Freddie said, that's one thing that amazed me was I reached out to you a couple of times. And your response is just so quick. I just, it just blew my mind. I was, I don't know if it was Jordan or my dad or who was. I was like, man, it's like Freddie's right there. You've got total access to him, which is a huge benefit to the whole system. Well, that's, you know, it's, it's, that would be, I mean, that's to me is one of the best aspects of CRT is knowing that you've got help, somebody to help you through the process, you know, especially amateurs. I mean, that's just because I was an amateur at one time. Heck, I didn't, I still don't know everything. So, I mean, and even to this day, just to add to it, uh, Chris Jobman, Chris Aiken, Mark Miles, they're all really great friends of mine and other pro trainers across the country. I have no qualms about giving one of them guys a call or talking to them about training. And, you know, if I've got an issue and I'm having problems, if, if I can do that, why can't anybody else do that to me? So, and that's the way it ought to be. Get, get help when you need, ask questions. And I tell folks all the time, you'll never, ever, ever bother me by asking me a question about dogs. I guarantee you that. Awesome. All right, let's go ahead. We'll jump right into the lightning round. And lightning round's um, a little segment we do, and it helps people know a little bit better and more about you as a duck hunter. So um, start it off. What kind of shotgun do you shoot? Benelli M220 gauge. And uh, what, kind of, what kind of ammo do you shoot? I'm shooting 90% of the time. I'm shooting heavy metal number fours out of that son of a gun. Number four is for ducks and geese. Uh, geese, I'll drop down the twos, but I still, I still, still shoot heavy metal. And uh, what's your uh, favorite uh, terrain to hunt in, as far as like, uh, um, you know, rivers, marshes, uh, flooded timber? Oh, green timber all the way. <laughs> I had a feeling, uh, being from Arkansas, that's what you'd say. <laughs> Well, and I will tell you now, this past year we graduated to hunting a lot of different areas. Off, kind of getting back to some of the roots of where we hunted. We we jumped into a lot of willow brakes, hunted uh, oxbows a little bit more. But uh, the willow brakes, we we really jumped onto them this year. Had a great season too. What is a willow break? Willow break is you know you got willow river willows, 
and they'll grow in the kind of the lowland areas that, that hold water most of the summer, and they'll just barely dry up just enough for willows to take hold. And then they'll flood again real easily. So you get a lot of uh, mm. a lot of duckweed, a lot of different grasses of that height in them. So they were hot this year for us. Up here in Kansas, smilers love willows around here too, whether they're a flood of vegetation or not. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, they're also a great, you know, anytime they can get something up pretty high and they're a good break from the wind and the weather for them too yeah mm-hmm. most of those areas are pretty doggone thick so i think i'll probably know the answer to this question as well but uh ducks or geese ducks. <laughs> and then uh one ducks specifically uh i guess for for you and your area i know you do a lot of um getting in with boats so uh surface drive or long tail surface drive bud buddy xdr Awesome. And then um, face paint or face mask? Uh, we generally don't know do either. I grow such a thick beard, I can't get anything to wash off me if I was to put it on. And, <laughs> and, and by gosh, the face mask is so itchy to me, but none of us wear either. All righty. And then uh, last one to round this off. Um, let us know, um, a story about your most memorable duck hunt. Hmm. Most memorable duck hunt. Well, you know, this past year, uh, one of our main guys, echo guys, you know, he died, he died 35 years of age. And, and right now, as far as most memorable hunts, it's still the last time I got to hunt with, uh, Tyler Merritt. So, it's staying pretty strong as far as in my mind this past season was tough for us as far as not having Tyler out there with us. But right now that's that's by far one of my most memorable hunts. Awesome. Sorry to hear about your guys lost with there. I'm sure that's a tough one. Um, all right, let's go ahead and jump to next next topic and um let's let's talk a little bit about your your season this year so how'd you guys do out there in arkansas well you know arkansas over the last few years have has kind of gone a little bit downhill in the duck hunting duck numbers the the either we didn't have water and we had the weather or we didn't have we we had water that was in some areas of state and pulled them so the ducks kind of got to where they were jumping around. And then a lot of times uh, this year, we didn't have near the cold front as usual, but we had a good push of birds early that kind of set our season in gear. Mm. So kick off the season, halfway through season, it was pretty much, I mean, we burned them up pretty doggone good for most of the season, uh, at least halfway through, and then it started falling off. But as long as we stayed mobile, and watch duck patterns, we were able to stay on. So we had a pretty strong season for the most part. So do you keep track do you, of Do you hunt public or private? About 50-50. It okay. used to be about 70-30, but, well, last year we hunted every single day we hunted public. But uh, this past year we, we hunted about 50-50, but it usually averages out about 70% uh, public and 30% private. I made my first trip to Arkansas this year. Um, I went to Cypress Crossings. I'm friends with Joel Strickland. I don't know if you know 
who he is or not. Well, um, I'll, I'll back to my filming career. Mm-hmm. When Joel first started Adventure Bound Outdoors, that tells you how old I am again. Yeah. I filmed a lot of stuff for Joel, and Joel built several shows out of some of that footage way back then. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. <laughs> I, I figured you probably knew him just because you're I know Joel real yeah. well. I filmed Joel shooting turkeys. I filmed him killing deer. Uh, you name it. I'm telling oh, you right now, if, if they've been in the industry, whether it's a product manufacturer or a TV show, that, that 20, old, let's say 15 years old or older, at some, some time, form or fashion or some way, I've filmed for them. That's, yeah. That's, that's all there is to it. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, we were down um, right after Christmas, and it was three-day hunt. The first few days were in the 60s, so we struggled a little bit, but it was a great experience. And we we shot we shot birds, such as the last day, but it was a it was a fun experience down there. Awesome, awesome. Glad y'all got off some. So, so do you guys keep track of numbers um, as far as like number of days you hunt and birds you you harvest? Ah. Uh, we'll, we'll keep up with our days, but not really our harvest as far as, you know, how many we kill, that sort of thing. But, I mean, this past year, uh, I hunted 57 of our 60-day season. Uh, wow. And last year, I hunted 59 of the 60-day season. Uh, <laughs> which which but, day are you cutting I, out on? Uh, most of the time, it's going to happen the day of the world championship. So many of the guys blow in it that. We don't hunt that morning, but we'll hunt the next morning. Ah. But we don't. So I'll go down to Max. I'll hang out and those sorts of things. So I'll miss a day there. And usually the weather is so doggone bad, we don't go out at least one or two days. You mean so bad as Thanksgiving in... morning, Christmas morning, you're going. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when you say the weather's bad, do you mean it's like uh, it's uh, um, too warm Thunder or it's storm. like. Thunderstorm, yeah, thunderstorms, okay. tornadoes. It ain't, it ain't, you know, Arkansas is prone to have a tornado in December. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I guess in flooded timber, that's probably not the best place to be. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you've ever been in timber when the trees are crashing down. It ain't fun. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Un- unfortunately, Elliot and I have, uh, neither one of us has had the chance to hunt flooded timber yet, but I'm sure uh, um, we will one of these days. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, we don't have a lot of flooded timber in Kansas. There's some, there's some in the south southwest, the southeast <laughs> corner, but there is. There's a little bit there, but boy, I tell you what, Kansas got some phenomenal hunting. I've hunted all over Kansas, and man, yeah, it, it it's got some phenomenal, phenomenal waterfowl. No it doubt does. about it. When so, you've come to Kansas, have you been hunting dry fields or or public marshes or private or what? Uh, most of the time it's been private, but, you know, we're, we're hunting fields, and then we've hunted uh, during freeze-ups. We've hit a lot of smaller creeks and those sorts of things. Uh, uh, and, I mean, I've had some, talking about those willow trees, along those, or cottonwood trees and stuff, along some of those creeks, man, it's awesome seeing them son of a gun work in and come in those little old tight creek beds, you know? Sure, yeah, yeah. Yep. I'm, I'm partial to the big shallow prairie marshes myself and you've got to you've got to try the prairie marshes out here october yeah. november it's yeah, it's I've never, beautiful. yeah i've never hunted those i've driven driven through them plenty of times but i've never hunted them we either field hunted or we hit those creek beds like that yeah 
Yeah. Awesome. And a few cattle farms. I should say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are those can be fantastic as well. <laughs> yeah. You darn right they can. Awesome. Um, Elliot, you got anything you want to add before we uh, go ahead and wrap this one up? Well, I can't believe you didn't ask on the lightning round. What what choke are you using in your gun? <laughs> I'm shooting uh, Rob Roberts. I shoot uh, T1 in the timber, and anytime we're hunting open water, I'll bump up to a T3 or, or T2 or T3 choke. And and I how's that uh, how's that um, correlate to like the the modified full type uh, type range full? Uh, uh, T1 is going to be about like a modified. Uh, T2 is going to be. Uh, kind of a full choke and t3 is going to be uh, next to full sounds awesome. good cool all righty well um we really appreciate you coming on uh been an awesome podcast full of information and stories so um thanks again if you want go ahead one more time let people know um where they can find you on social uh, trt and everything well i'm freddie king of course and the retriever trainer.com is the website you know if you got a pump you've got an advanced dog you want to see a ton of different drills there's over a thousand videos on this website uh going from six weeks all the way to advanced derby qualifier master you name it it's in there uh you can also there's working dog sections where you can actually see hunts taking place you can watch uh echoes mounted madness uh series uh dvds on it that's free to all members um and pretty much uh you can contact me through Facebook private messenger. Go to my actual page, uh, my personal page. Uh, Facebook has been at me because I've got a certain number of followers that they think I could go to uh, uh, one of them pages but I, that, that people of importance have, but I don't want to do that. <laughs> I'm keeping my personal page. That way I can interact with everybody, but still just up there in that corner, hit message. Send me a message, and uh, I will get back to you. You need anything retriever-oriented? We're just going to talk training ducks. I'm all about it. I'll guarantee you. And, guys, don't forget it's theretrievertrainer.com. I know I made that mistake at the beginning of the center. Retriever trainer. It's theretrievertrainer.com. Yep, yep, theretrievertrainer.com. And uh, it'll get you right there. We have guest speakers. Uh, Chris Jobman's been on it. Chris Aiken's been on it. Several other trainers. Uh, have been on it no sorts of things so uh it's definitely uh you know it's just not me i like to use everybody else's talent out there to, to show different aspects of retrieval uh, training awesome all righty folks thanks thanks again for tuning in for another one um i'm jordan from duckin chronicles elliot from freelance duckening thanks again freddie for coming on for another good one and we'll see you guys. I appreciate it, guys. And we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>